Attention Patriots, this is the Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. I am not Chris Ann Hall. This is JC filling in for Chris Ann while she's uh, away teaching today. But uh, got a few things we want to talk about, look at, look at, get right into. Um, I am really interested in this uh, lawsuit by uh, Nick Sandman from the Covington Catholic High School, as you guys remember. You know, him uh, being faced down, being uh, uh, surrounded and uh, facing off with this Native American guy who pretended to be a veteran. uh, And then all the lefty news agencies, you know, running with this story or what they thought was a story, a half story, not even gathering the facts and basically use this young man really in in what I think of as a proxy assault against Donald Trump and against, uh, let's say, conservative ideology. But it's an interesting case because these guys are suing um, these news agencies, suing AP, now suing HBO, uh, NBC. I think they've sued The Washington Post and CNN. And the attorney says he's pretty much going to roll out a lawsuit each week um, and keep this thing, you know, keep it going. I suppose he says it has to give them time to uh, give them time to make a retraction or uh, something like that. But what's interesting is, you know, again, I'm no I'm not a lawyer. I'm just married to one. uh, But um, in having these discussions about these first amendment things they're not they're not really easy these aren't really easy suits to win by the way the court deals with uh first amendment law and particularly defamation suits and uh, as we've talked about before on the show the supreme court has uh kind of made different doctrines and and, and their own reasoning over the years, and public officials are are treated differently, what they call public officials. And then you, the weird thing is, so you, you have a, you have a, a higher standard or uh, something if if they're the uh, they're the person you know allegedly being defamed, but then a private person is supposed to be an easier suit. So you have here a private individual is suing. But then these are these are news, most of them news organizations, and so they could be given sort of uh, extra protection by the courts. So in defamation lawsuits, according to uh, 
legal sources, you have to prove several things in your lawsuit. That first, the, the statements were published, right? Either spoken or written, written they were disseminated. Uh, you also have to prove they're false. And then you have to prove that they caused you injury. Uh, and then that they're unprivileged. Uh, I think the first three are obvious. The un, unprivileged uh, thing is the issue that gets that gets tricky with um, th these being news organizations. So they would say, that, you know, lawmakers enjoy this privilege when when they're uh, in session. They can't be sued for statements they make. Uh, you know, witnesses on a, in a case can't be sued. You know, they testified in court falsely. Um, now they guilty of perjury if they knew it was false. Um, but it's the idea that this is of such value to the First Amendment that, uh, you know, it's privileged. They have a privileged status. So that's kind of the interesting thing about this case. I, Chris Ann can weigh in when she when she returns. But this will be interesting to watch on on the one hand, I feel like. And of course, by the way, this is not a criminal defamation is not a criminal thing. It's a civil suit. So basically you, you sue for money. You say you injured me. You hurt my reputation. Blah, blah, blah. You owe me this money. So it's a civil. It's a tort case. It's a civil suit. It's not criminal. Nobody's going to jail. But so on the one hand, I feel like the way, you know, this could be ruled one way or the other impacts what we have going forward. I mean, you look at you look at these news agencies, alleged so-called news agencies. It seems to me it's an ideologically based assault on an individual or in this case by proxy. Uh, it, it, it's you hate to see that just uh, given a pass confirmed. So if they say, no, you can't sue for this kind of thing and you're not, you know, you can't win, you, you lose. What does that, what does that do to these lefty news agencies that are already out of control? I mean, won't that, won't that encourage them? I mean, will this make it worse? Then on the other hand, you think about the issue of free speech and re reporting things, even, even as, you know, independent blogger, independent journalist, Will would a successful lawsuit kind of give a chilling effect of people reporting? I mean, you almost want, you know, on the one hand, you feel like it's kind of a good thing if you're chilled for truth, right? You should, shouldn't there be some, hey, slow down, do your research so you do this right and, and don't harm people? I mean, to me, it's kind of irritating that these news agencies can publish some some false thing, some salacious assault on an individual, and and then when it's false, and and you know most of the time it seems like they know it's false. You can tell they're just running their mouth. It's just criticism, attack, totally false. And then the correction, the the fix, the remedy is a sentence or two on page twelve at you know stuck in the bottom corner of here's a correction to this article we published last month 
you know, where we meant to say this word, it's this word. So that's that thing of, of privileged. This idea that the court came up with this privileged class seems to be cover to be able to operate like that. They can pretty much do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, and it has its effect. This is the thing. They know they can just say, oops, we're sorry, a day or two or a week or a month later, they're not held accountable and it's okay. So if they already know that's that's what they're allowed to do, they, they have this privilege of just writing a sentence saying, oh, sorry about that. They already know they're free to make their attack. They're free to tell their lies. They're free to issue their, their false stories. And it's going to have its effect. It's going to have its influence. And they know there will be no consequences to that. So doesn't this kind of privileged doctrine uh, really give them a, a, a license to kill, so to speak? I mean, it's, it's, it's a license to do this. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, it's it's so it's I, I would I want to I want to hear Chris Ann when she she gets back to this. Uh, you know, is this a good suit? Is it a bad suit? Maybe, maybe the problem is the suit to begin with. But then what are what are the consequences and what is the remedy? Like I'm certainly when I when I listen to Trump again, this is private individual and journalist. Now, when I listen to the president talk about, hey, these guys are, you know, this is fake news and we need to look into this. Something needs to be done about it. And he's sort of throwing around the power of government to control the press if, if that's what he's saying. He didn't elaborate. I don't know that that's what he's saying. But that kind of language coming from the president, you know, kind of gives you pause. Like, wait a minute, what are you? What are you talking about that? Can you what are you talking about? Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean? So you certainly don't want the necessarily want the government swooping in and controlling, um, controlling the press. You know, we don't we don't want a Soviet style. I mean, the press is uh, really heavily controlled in Russia. Still, you certainly don't want some Soviet style media. But where where is the remedy? Where is the accountability outside of government swooping in and, you know, policing the press, which we don't want, what, what do we do? Is this, appropriate, is this the appropriate thing for the personal, you know, the, the, the private individual to fight for their own reputation in this manner and go to the courts? I mean, you could go and you, you talk about other things. Um, people often talk about boycotts, uh, these sponsors. I mean, all these advertisers that fund this stuff. It seems we, you you know, complain about these certain things, but then people still people keep uh, people keep giving them money. You keep buying these products. I'm not huge. I'm not a huge boycott fan, but I I think back uh, to the history of the founding of our nation. Uh, boycott was was a pretty big thing that the founders used. I mean, I think of. Uh, the incident leading, you know, leading up the circumstances leading up to the Boston massacre incident at the, at the heart of a lot of that was, uh, was boycotts, the tea boycotts and boycotts on certain goods. So, you know, there's that, but then you have what seems like an ancillary issue of these massive, massive corporate empires that control almost the entire 
information flow. We now have, you know, the competing internet, independent media, but it seems like still most of the information flow is controlled by these massive corporations. You think about ABC, Disney, ESPN, it's all, I mean, it's all Disney. It's all one corporation. And then there's, you know, a handful of other corporations and they control the entire press. So the thing is, they're, they're so huge that even when a private individual tries to stand up for themselves and, and fight against this, I mean, these are trillion dollar corporations. What are you, what are you going to do? Does it even make a dent? Are they concerned with your pushback? They just roll over you like a tank and throw you a bag of money and keep moving. Liberty's lobbyist Chris Ann Hall has now taken control. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show, Daily Journal. Glad you're here. This is J.C. Hall sitting in for Chris Ann. I guess when it's me here by myself, probably going to end up with more questions than answers. We need our expert back. But uh, we'll see how that thing unfolds and uh, get Chris Ann's take on it. Maybe she can chime in tomorrow when she gets back, and we'll, we'll see what the expert has to say. Uh, but I noticed uh, Beto O'Rourke, Robert O'Rourke, has uh, thrown his hat into the ring, r- running for president. And uh, it's, it's an it's a interesting thing to me. It, it almost seems like conservatives are, are scared of this guy. I don't know. I, I, look at, uh, I look at the article. There's a huge article. It's like encyclopedic article in Vanity Fair. Uh, about Beto O'Rourke and his run. Matter of fact, he's he's front front cover. You know, he gets the Annie Leibovitz uh, treatment on the front cover and this huge Vanity Fair article. Of course, their articles are usually pretty huge. Not that I read that very much, but any that I see are always ginormous. Uh, and I noticed on, on, on another side, I was looking at Reason.com on their articles about Beto, Beto on Robert O'Rourke, and they've got a pretty, uh, pretty good running uh, collection just tracking this guy. And uh, in in the middle of the article, and reason embedded in this is a is a um, video from one of these packs. I think uh, uh, what do you call that? Club for Growth uh, pack, and it's I mean just raking this guy with the coals. He has he has a terrible, just a terrible resume, in my opinion. Just, you know, the guys, uh, he was a just sort of slacker, drifter, you know, no, a lot like, well, I mean, probably accomplished less than Barack Obama. Other than his, his punk, the punk music scene, he was uh, a bad musician in a bad punk band. It's like the height of his accomplishments until... Uh, until getting into politics, was just this drifter, uh, loser, and uh, as all kind of things, drunk driving, crashing into to cars, and j- just all this sort of stuff. And so, Club for Growth has this this uh, ad that brings out all the 
they're comparing him to Barack Obama. Like he's basically, you know, this guy's a bigger loser. It's almost made for Democrats. Like Democrats don't pick this guy. He's a loser. He's not as good as Barack Obama. And I'm I'm thinking, I I keep thinking, well, shouldn't this be the guy? I mean, leave him alone. Let I mean, he has such baggage and is such a loser. Why don't you let this guy run? I mean, he'd be a great presidential candidate for the Democrat Party. I mean, if you're a Republican, you you would seem, of course, that kind of backfired with the Democrats. Now that I think about it, they thought the same thing about Donald Trump. This guy is such such an idiot. Uh, He can't possibly win. So let's do everything to make him the Republican nominee coming out of the primary. You saw all the liberal uh, liberal news was it was just nonstop, 24 hours Trump and just this promotion of Trump. I remember even watching some of the lefty pundits uh, on these daily shows and different things, particularly the New York left New, New York liberal media. Some of these New York liberal media figures, I remember I remember during the campaign watching them talking about, yeah, I, I know the guy personally. I've known him for 20 years and you know, he's he's a good guy, means well, this and that. They're kind of bragging on the guy. And then as soon as he wins the primary, it just completely flipped. And then it's been just nonstop, 24-hour, round-the-clock coverage of Trump and attacks on Trump. But it was almost like they uh, they were trying to promote him in the primary. So, And that was my thought with Beto. Why don't the Republicans do that? But then, you know, if it backfires like like the Democrats, uh, then then that wouldn't be good, I guess. But but I'm thinking, this guy, you know, they even even in the uh, Vanity Fair article, you know, you, it's like this is not doesn't seem to me to be flattering. Are they trying to promote him, or they're promoting him to a particular office? I came away with what a loser this guy is. Um, but a couple things were interesting in looking at the Vanity Fair article. When I got to the end, I thought, man. How different is it, this between Barack Obama and Beto O'Rourke, that, I mean, this is like a play-by-play, month-by-month of his life from, you know, from a kid till now. And we know, we have an encyclopedia on this guy, and we knew next to nothing about Barack Obama. We can't find his transcripts we can't find anybody he went to college with nobody really knows him we know he smoked dope and hung out with you know palestinian terrorists i don't know but who knows something about this guy Pedro rock we know everything can't learn the easy way you'll learn the hard way chris and hall she's liberty's lobbyist Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show. This is J.C. Hall sitting behind the microphone for Chris Ann. She will be back on the next installment. So we're talking about Beto O'Rourke. He threw his hat in the ring for Democrat presidential nominee, is a candidate, whatever. He wants to be president. And uh, Vanity Fair talks about his bookshelf with all these presidential histories on his bookshelf, and he wants to be on that bookshelf, and uh, he's bragging on um, AOC. I, I think if if AOC uh, was old enough to drink, that O'Rourke would probably 
pick the bartender as uh, as his running mate. But I don't I don't think she's old enough to be uh, to be to run for president. I'm not. I I think there's probably you know some uh, types of vehicles she's probably not even old enough to operate. Uh, but nevertheless, he he brags on AOC, and um, you know he's he's touted as uh, the progressive, the, the, you know, the new Jimmy Carter. It's this nice guy. I want unity. We want to talk. We want to talk with everybody. Let's just let's just talk it out. I remember the last uh, the last sort of profile article uh, I'm listening to Beto O'Rourke, and it's and it's. It's like he's, he he doesn't want to really take a position, just not be nailed down. So and and by the way, that's the that's the other side of the argument with me that on the one hand I think just leave this guy alone, let him run. What what a what a doofus! Just let it go. That's anybody could beat that guy. Of course, that's if you're a Republican and you want Trump to win. He yeah, he could beat that guy. Um, and as you know, as much baggage and problem as Trump has you you probably want a pushover for trump to run against i mean he's really really popular with those who support him but uh so many so many issues you never know how this thing's going to go in politics so maybe maybe he wants a pushover but then on the other hand you think well here's this guy who doesn't really take a lot of firm positions just just you know just a couple of things and and this kind of general leaning this just this indications of leaning towards socialism while claiming to be a capitalist and so you worry here's the same phenomenon of barack obama although we know all of this stuff about beto rark and we we didn't know much about barack obama remember charlie rose after after obama was barack obama was elected as president it's it's election night he just he just won a historic election first black president I mean, amazing historical event, right? It kind of the only part of it. Well, a couple things made it historic, but that in particular that you can got, kind of go, okay, that's, that's, that's okay. That's, that's not particularly bad. Uh, everything else about him was bad, but here's this historic night, and Charlie Rose, after carrying his water for the whole campaign, he sits back and goes, wow, you know, this is, this is really kind of frightening on the one hand, we know nothing about this guy. He's just been this blank screen for everyone to project their hopes and dreams on it so you could sort of make him who you want him to be because he was really nobody in particular. This is Charlie Rose after he's been bragging on the guy, you know, at the end of the campaign, he's pre- he's now president of the United States and Charlie Rose declares, "We don't know anything about this guy. We don't even know who he is." But Beto O'Rourke, we we've got, you know, we've got a freaking uh rectal exam of this we know everything of this guy uh but yet he takes no really hard positions like i well he's is he is he a socialist i mean looks like a socialist talks like a socialist acts like it seems like he supports this guy brags on the new green deal but and i'm thinking from the voters perspective right because people are so stupid well he said he was a capitalist right it doesn't matter the hundred other things he said he says he's he tweeted he didn't he tweeted he's a capitalist right because it's got to be social it's a social media thing he's jfk with a twitter account that's kind of how they're pitching this guy so then i worry well the voters could do the same thing all of the idiotic voters out there could vote for this guy 
you know, even though he doesn't take a stand, maybe people, maybe people are kind of sick of the toxic political environment. And here comes a guy going, can we all just talk? And he, and he voted a third of the time with Republicans in the Congress. I mean, that's like, that's a, that's a hit for Democrats. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a negative. So in the, in a primary, the Democrats could say, oh, this guy voted, you know, a third of the time with Republicans. He's not a true progressive and he supports border. You know, he supported securing the border and voted for checkpoints and border security. And so, so this is a guy that's kind of all over the map. So could that be an appeal to these independents who swing these elections? Hey, he's not a mean guy. We're tired of all this mean and nasty politics. He just wants to talk. Can we elect this guy? He's so nice. He's so Jimmy Carter. He's he's got the looks of JFK, and you know, and he uses Twitter, and he he played in a punk band. And what about the Generation X coming to vote? You know, hey, this guy just roamed around, living in you know New York, doing nothing. Just he just wanted to make art and feel good and have his little commune and that's so awesome and you know he's he's so non-judgmental and we need that i mean was you know that's generation x kind of thing for these people so could he appeal to a bunch of voters so you 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 think okay we'll let this loser come through we'll beat this guy and then you have a bunch of mealy mouth nitwits voting for this idiot so who knows how this stuff goes uh in in politics i mean come on what are you going to do with this guy? Another weird thing that was a parallel to Barack Obama as I'm, as I'm reading this story um, is he says in the Vanity Fair article, that is Robert O'Rourke says, that he, he never prepared a speech. Now we know, we know Obama had to have a speech. You know, they wrote his speech and he was, he was, he was a great uh, he had great cadence, and he could deliver a written speech. Now, we learn for, at least in my opinion, if you're if you're looking objectively, Barack Obama, when he was off the teleprompter, sounded like a bumbling idiot until much later in uh, in his presidency. But I saw when he first got off the teleprompter, it's like he didn't know. He didn't know what to do. He didn't sound all smart and genius. Oh, this guy's so smart. He's a genius and such a great orator. No, he was a great speech reader. But this guy, Rourke, says, you know, I don't even write a speech. I'm just going to show up. I just show up, and then I just start talking. And now here's a similarity with Barack Obama to me. Is this kind of aura, this, this weird vibe where he just draws people and they swoon. And this is the this is the thing. And it's weird. He says in Vanity Fair, I honestly don't know how much of it was me. But there's something abnormal, super normal, or I don't know what the bleep to call it, that we both, and he's referring to Barack Obama, that we both experience when we're out on the campaign trail. This is this so this is that weird vibe, what I kindly call the spirit of Antichrist, but we'll leave that for now. But he's got this, and, and it's, it, it, you know, it's kind of creepy to me because he actually uses the, the words abnormal, super normal. 
I mean, some of my friends would call it demonic. So he's got this thing, man. He's got this same kind of weird uh, hypnotic vibe that Barack Obama had. So there's a couple things in here. And I think, here's another thing. Because you have Kamala Harris, you got Cory Booker, uh, Focahontas, you, you know, all these other, so women and minorities, right? That's, that's Democrat Party wants, that's what they want, right? That's what they say they want. And so Beto O'Rourke is this white guy. Like one thing, you, you know, he, he, uh, he, he talks about his relationship with his father, which is pretty much, uh, you know, dysfunction, totally dysfunctional. And, uh, but the peculiar thing, a couple things he has in common with, with his dad. They, so they both married uh, rich, rich wives, right? And so he kind of had this whole privilege, even though he was, he's slumming about in New York, but he always had something he could fall back on, right? And so he's got this rich billionaire uh, heiress to some real estate billionaire that he married, his dad married, uh, you know, a rich, uh, rich girl whose dad owned uh, some big, you know, big furniture store in El Paso that made them wealthy and all this. So he, he's privileged white guy. But this is the thing. I think the Democrat Party is is still inherently racist. And when you look at they talk all this talk, but you, know, you see how it operates, you know. So I, I don't know. I feel like maybe the Democrat elected or electorate would be more apt to pick a white guy in the first place. But then at the same time, he's got to walk around pretending to be Mexican. Uh, and, you know, and then, and of course, he has to um, criticize himself for his for his DNA and his chromosomes. He has, you know, that self uh, self-criticizing that the new progressive, milquetoast, sissified men uh, in the Democratic Party do these days. They're ashamed of being men, and they have to hate themselves and hate men, and, oh, we need more women and minorities everywhere, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And he talked about how, you know, what what a great thing it would be that people, you know, he would totally understand if people choose a president based on uh, skin color. You know, that's how stupid these people are. You don't want the best guy. You just, you just, you know, you want to make, like 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 the government's a coloring book, and we just have to fill it in with colors. I mean, we don't want discrimination, but you're going to pick solely based on color? What is that? You know, affirmative action government, whatever. Uh, so that's Beto O'Rourke. I don't know if I, I, I'm still kind of up in the air. I'd like to hear what you guys think. Leave him alone? Let him run so he'd be a pushover? Or, you know, should should Republicans be concerned with this guy? Who is the who is the likely threat? Because Cory Booker is another guy like this. He's kind of like an almost is this bad? It's going to sound racist. Almost black guy uh, version of Beto. I don't know. Of course, I'm an almost black guy, but whatever. So, should we worry about this guy? Or who who is a threat? Is Kamala Harris the big threat? And by the way, I think. Uh, What's his name? The vice president. He's going to run. I think the vice president, Joe Biden, Uncle, Uncle, your drunk Uncle Joe, is another guy's going to throw his hat in the ring. This is going to be so entertaining when these guys start running around, yapping at each other. And is Bernie Sanders coming back? Surely Bernie's running.
Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show, our final segment. It's JC filling in for Chris Ann Hall today. I, I, I would love to hear what you guys think of the new the new budget. Yeah, I mean the the budget proposal and and uh, I mean what's going on? We're talking fiscal year 2020, spending 4.7 trillion dollars. That's 4.5 trillion last year, 4.1 trillion the year before that. I mean, is that are we for real with this? What that is almost that's 12 over 12 trillion coming up on 16 trillion that this administration has has spent. I'm curious, what do you, what do you guys What's your thoughts on that? Like, come on, go on Facebook or uh, whatever, Chris Ann's Facebook and, or Twitter or something. Some of, that, some of that stuff you guys, you kids use out there. Some of that social media stuff you kids use. I'd like to know what you think. Are we, is this out of control? Is this okay because it's Donald Trump? Because it's a Republican administration, it's Trump administration. And it's, oh, we're, we're, we're cutting, but we're cutting spending within the spending. What does that even mean? 4.7 trillion. We can't even fathom that number. We're spending 4.7 trillion. And they say, oh, well, but revenue is going to grow by 72%. What? How do, you, how do you come up with that? So they have these massive, sudden increases in growth. They predict, oh, it's, it's going to be okay. Uh, because there's going to be so much growth and we have all these cuts. Did you, are you not aware that the Democrats control the House? You're not getting these cuts. It's not, that's, first off, that's not going to happen. Those, so these things that they're bragging on with the cuts, and it's not cuts to spending. It's, at best, we're talking about cuts to the growth of spending. This is always the trick that these guys use, that the federal government uses. And they talk about cutting spending. They're talking about cutting the growth of spending. So spending increases. Spending is increasing. Okay, it's going up. None is going down. It's cutting the growth of spending, which is to say we're just not going to spend as much as fast. Right. So it's like saying, well, you know, we would have spent five trillion, but we're only going to spend four point seven trillion or it, it, it's actually more like saying, OK, uh, you know, spending only spending grew by uh, half a trillion. We're only going to grow it by. A quarter of a trillion. Right. So it's not a spending cut. Do you get this? It's a cut in the, at best, a cut in the growth of spending. But they're still spending like, my goodness, they're spending out of control. And the funny little trick, if you weren't aware of this, this is a funny little trick. And by the way, all the cuts, this is the thing, all the cuts, so-called cuts, 
are in non-defense spending, which is why it's dead on arrival when you when you look at the House. It's not going to happen. They're not, they're not going to cut these things. And then the, the, this is, but this is funny on the defense side. Uh, they actually claim to cut uh, cut defense spending, right? Which is not now. Some of you know some guys are out there like you know we need to increase defense spending. So it's not even a it's not even a conversation for you. But uh, they obviously think they should cut it. But so what they do is they say, oh, we're cutting defense spending. Well, then there's this other other category they call Overseas Contingency Operations Fund. So it's defense spending under another name. So I don't know if you're aware of that, but that's how they hide. So, you know, you, you hear the arguments that conservatives and liberals, libertarians, and ar- they'll go argue over defense spending and, and then a you know, conservatives say, oh, what, what are you talking about? He's, he's not even spending that much on defense. No, they just shifted it to a ca- another category uh, to hide it. But one trillion dollar deficits every single year. Can we keep doing this? Should we keep doing this? Is this okay? 